Come live on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. A new day brings new topics. Our sports talk brings extensive debate and analysis by the host, expert contributors, and callers. We discuss it all. Join us weekdays at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. Hey, welcome to Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. We're excited about tonight. We have a good show for you, 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. I want to welcome in my co-host, Duck Riley. Uh, how are you, sir? Okay, we got Duck handling some things at the house there. Tim Moore, how are you? I'm doing well, Princess. How are you? You feeling better 24 hours later? Are you improving? Uh, a little bit, but my voice is still leaves a little bit to be desired. It 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 does it does it doesn't have that very wide effect at all. But that's okay. <laughs> We're gonna hang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're gonna hang in there with you, Tim Moore. Duck Riley, did you hear that part? Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I wonder if he lost his voice. He told us while traveling in and out of different states, but. I also know that Notre Dame and Connecticut played, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why he lost his voice. He just sat there and, and on the big screen TV. It's good, you know. We got flat screens now, 70-inch, 80-inch, um, high definition. So he just had a good time enjoying women's basketball. That's all that. Oh, damn. Princess, I didn't even know we had that. So I, I, need, to get, I need to get rid of my floor model. <laughs> get rid of those rabbit ears, Duck. Get rid of them. <laughs> look, the look, with aluminum foil wrapped around them. Exactly. Oh, man. Now you're taking us back for sure. <laughs> now people go, hey, you know, I live you in know, the country, too. <laughs> hey, you, know, you know, I had my, uh, my nieces and nephews with me. I used to bring them up every summer. And I remember when they were, oh, I think the oldest one was 12 and the youngest one was about five. Um, we lost the remote one time. We were sitting in, in the living room, and they uh, couldn't find it. Turned over pillow cushions and everything, and I told them, I said, you know, there was a time when we used to have to get up out of our seat and walk all the way across the room and turn the channel. They thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, so, so, well, my kids, yeah, turn the TV, <laughs> and that was it. We are so spoiled, are we not? Go ahead, Doug. <laughs> No, no, but seriously, Tim, you don't do that no We don't have to do that no more. <laughs> no, I do it no more, Doug. You don't more, have Doug. to do that anymore, Doug. You can go get I'm your 80-inch 80, 80 screen and, and let it let the, the TV be bigger than the room. You can go do that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, let's go. You know what? In my girls, we went to their grandmother's house, and they had the, still the, the rotary phone. Oh, my girls thought that that was the funniest thing. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. um, Little do they know for sure. Let's welcome in Miss Heidi Pratt. Miss Heidi, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It is our honor for sure. I'm going to, I am Princess Cooper. You're going to talk to Tim and and Duck, and then I'll come back at the end. Guys, go ahead and take over. Okay. Okay. Uh, Again, Heidi, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm 36 weeks pregnant, so. Wow. Oh, my. Yeah. I know. My (laughs) husband and I were getting ready, and so, yeah, we're excited. But when you're this pregnant, you're just just pregnant and waiting. 
36 weeks is 36 weeks. I'm praying for you, Heidi. Thank you. And I'm excited for you, too. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, Heidi, first of all, I want to kind of tell the people where you're originally from and then kind of get into your middle school and high school, you know, what sports that you participated in. Yeah, so I'm – yeah, absolutely. So I am originally from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um, my family, I'm the youngest of four. Um, and so I actually went to a private school, um, a college prep school um, called uh, Southwest Covenant. And so sports were kind of limited when we were in, you know, elementary school, and middle school, but it was always a huge part of the school. Um, we're close, Oklahoma's close to Texas. So you know, everybody went to the football games on Friday nights. Um, in fact, Dan Bailey, who I'm not sure who he's kicking for now, but he kicks for the Dallas Cowboys. He's a graduate of um, of Southwest Covenant as well. So sports were pretty popular. Um, and, you know, my parents always put these boundaries on us, which I'm glad that they did, that we finished what we started. And so I kind of bounced around. I started with gymnastics and I'm 5'11 and a half and so I was told when I was younger I was too tall for gymnastics and so I quickly moved on to basketball. Um, I wasn't the greatest at basketball um, but then in fifth grade I was able to join a after-school program that taught volleyball and that's where I really found um, a sport that I enjoyed and that I was good at. (laughs) So um, I focused on volleyball when I was in middle school and high school. Okay, you you talked about uh, you focused on you know volleyball and stuff. Uh, where did you play on it? Did you play all over? Uh, did you have a set position in volleyball? Yeah. So in high school, I was a middle hitter. Um, I was I was also played some tennis, and so I was ambidextrous. So I could hit with my right and my left hand, and so um, a lot of times, you know, we, you could rush the net, and the other team wouldn't know where the ball was going to go because. I could hit it with both hands. So I really loved the sport. Um, and I really don't feel like I felt I had my place on the team and had really honed in on my skills until I was in high school, my freshman and sophomore year. Okay, um, but yeah. by then, yeah, every summer we would do uh, volleyball camps, club volleyball, things like that. Um, Bill Hammeter, he was a coach. He had coached for um, an Olympic team. Uh, and so, you know, it was it was a big part of my life. Okay. Take us from your so- freshman year to your sophomore year, and now you're getting ready to enter your junior year, and where it all started to kind of, I would hate to say come apart, but things started to happen. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, being a teenage girl, I think – there were a lot of messages that I had been listening to. Um, I, I became insecure, I would say. Um, and I started looking for confidence in the wrong places. Um, and I would say that, you know, when I was off the court, um, you know, I really wanted this positive attention. Um, but, you know, I had I had this passion, right, where I was on the volleyball court and I could succeed. And the team loved me. The girls loved me. I had friends. Um, it was a real community. Um, 
but I, I actually, um, I got hurt um, my junior year. Um, it's crazy. I was on an airplane with my family, and um, a woman was walking down the airplane aisle, and she looked like, you know, she was kind of out of it, and she tripped, and I leaned out to catch her, and she braced herself on my shoulder and dislocated my shoulder. Um, and my dad is a physician, and so right then he, in the, air, in the airplane, we actually hadn't taken off yet, he had popped my shoulder back in place. Um, but being a teenage girl, we were on our way to Mexico, and I, you know, I said, I don't need to go to the emergency room, let's just go on vacation. Um, little did I know that not taking care of that injury and not addressing it um, would change my life forever. Um, and so um, after that, my shoulder, I could never hit the same. Um, it would pop out of socket frequently. Um, and so I was given a choice to have surgery, which would take me out of volleyball, or not have surgery and be taken out of volleyball. Um, and so I, at the time, I can't remember the rationale, and I, I've been thinking about this, you know, Coach, you and I have talked. Um, I've been thinking about, like, why did I really step away? And I think it was just this overwhelming fear of not knowing what I was going to do next because it had been such a passion, and it was what my life was going to be, and I, I was going to go to college and you know, I was going to, you know, get a scholarship for volleyball and my team and my community. Um, and all of a sudden that was hanging in the balance. And so um, the coach, the volleyball coach had changed, um, and this coach would not let me practice with my injury and um, put me on the sidelines. And I, that really offended me. And she wouldn't let me participate a lot in practice, and I just stopped going. And so I, I, I threw in the towel. I gave up. Um, and the crutch at the time that I had was um, pain medication because I went to the doctor and my shoulder would hurt and I would be prescribed pain medication. And so um, it really started down a really dark path. Okay. And I can get into that yeah. more if you want me to go right in. But Yeah, well, I'm going to leave that open basically for Tim and Princess. But I want – now, all of this is taking place, okay, is this at the end of your sophomore year where you guys are headed to Mexico or the end of yes. your junior year in high school? Okay, end of the your end sophomore of year. My so yeah, the end of my sophomore year. Uh -huh. We had just finished the volleyball season when I injured my shoulder. And you, mm -hmm. you were feeling and so, pretty good about you were feeling pretty good about how your, your season ended? Yeah, I had a great season. The season ended on a, on a high note, and I was ready to go back and be captain of the team. And, you know, we had a core group of girls. I mean, it, yeah, I was – I had no idea until the summer the extent of my injury when I started, you know, um, getting back into those really intensive camps. Okay, so when he popped – Okay, take me back. I want to go back to the airplane. Okay, she, she yeah. dislocates your shoulder. Your mm -hmm. dad gets up. He pops your shoulder back in. Yeah. What happened during that period of you going to Mexico? Did he 
no ice, no treatment. You just kind of. Yeah, so we deplaned, and the woman who fell was getting all the attention, as she should have. Um, But she was taken off, and so the EMTs, you know, got me out there and like, hey, you know, if you dislocated your shoulder, we can give you this sling. And so they gave me a makeshift sling, um, kind of like one, I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. It was almost just like a piece of fabric. Um, to put my shoulder in. And so, you know, my dad looked at me and he said, okay, these are our options. We go to the emergency room um, and we can fly to Mexico a few days later and meet the rest of the family or we can we can go on. And I, you know, tough, wanted to be tough. I don't know. I was excited for the vacation. I said, let's just go. Um, and I should have worn the sling the entire week, but a big part of our vacation was uh, playing sand volleyball. And so I did not keep my arm in a sling um, and played sand volleyball. Okay. Okay, Nan, you're, going, you, you're back. You're getting ready to start school your, your junior year mm-hmm. now. Yeah. When did, when did you start feeling it in your shoulder that, oh, this is not quite right? Yeah, we ha- I had finished my sophomore year, and I would play tennis in the spring. I didn't really notice anything there. I mean, a little bit of pain um, every once in a while, but I would just switch hands with the racket. Um, but then during club volleyball that summer, and I really started to play, I realized that this ability I had to be this middle hitter and hit with both arms all of a sudden was gone. And so I started strictly just trying to hit with my left arm. Um, And when I started doing that, I think um, I started overcorrecting. And, I mean, the thing with when you jump to hit a ball and you're swinging your arm across your body, if you come down and you don't land with your feet firmly planted and you're able to control that inertia of your arm going – the next spot that takes it is your knees. And so when I was playing with the shoulder injury, it ended up going to my knees. Um, And I had had a previous torn um, uh, lateral collateral ligament, which is on the LCL. Uh, You know, a lot of people injure that in in athletics. Um, But I had overcorrected and then torn because I started hitting with my right hand. I uh, overcorrected and toward my anterior collateral ligament. And so um, I then was having shoulder and knee pain, um, which I think is really why the coach, my, the start of my junior year was like, you know, you, you can't play. Did we lose Dave? Oh, I'll step there in. you are. Uh, I'll step. I'll step in. Um, I'm listening to your story. This is Tim Moore, the co-host uh, for the program. Yeah. Um, you were you were talking about the uh, the frustration that you had in your in your drive coming off a great season, uh, going on vacation, not wanting to deal with it, not thinking it was real serious, and then you go out and you hurt your knee, um, and and you go back to the volleyball team, and all of a sudden things are not working as they should. Uh, what was that feeling like when the coach uh, finally said to you, uh, you're not going to be able to play? Um, yeah, I mean, humiliating, I think. Um, I definitely took it personal 
like, you know, you don't know me, you don't know what I'm capable of. Um, I think I took it so personal to the point where I think she was coming from a place of care and concern. Um, but to me, she was telling me that, you know, this thing I was passionate about that I was good at, um, I wasn't good at anymore. Um, and I wasn't good enough. How did it make you feel? Um, lost. Mm-hmm. Lost. <laughs> really lost. Yeah, at that age, at that age, you're probably what sixteen years old at that point. Yeah, seventeen. Yeah, a little older than my grade. Yeah, seventeen. Years old. Well, oh. yeah, no, sixteen. About going on seventeen. Sorry, yeah. And and all of a sudden, you go from uh, feeling as though you're you're a prospect to to maybe even get a scholarship to go to college and play volleyball to not being able to compete. Um, Correct. What was your response? Yeah. What was your response once once that happened? Yeah, I think my response was anger, um, and it was kind of like, um, well, I don't care anyways. Hmm. I wanted to put on I wanted to put on airs like, well, you know that that doesn't affect me, you know, because I'd already struggled with insecurity and having confidence. Um. And so what do people who are, you know, struggle with that, you know, comes out as overconfidence. Mm-hmm. So um, how, um, how did the next few months go for you? How, so, I'm sorry, what was that? How, how were your next few months after, after this finally started to set in with you? You, you, you? The reality of the fact that you're not going to be able to play, the anger set in that, that uh, you know, you, you know the, that they're telling you you're not good enough. Uh, and, and uh, you know, how, how how did the next few months go for you in terms of what, what played out uh, in terms of your behavior, your your response to that? Yeah. Um, I spiraled out of control. Um, I had had, um, I had had a boyfriend, but me and that boyfriend got, you know, all of a sudden it was all this pressure to meet all of my needs was put on him, um, which he didn't meet. Um, and, you know, within a few months, I was um, having outbursts um, with teachers, getting in trouble a lot, yeah, and really reaching outside myself because my identity was taken away. So if I'm not going to be, if I'm not going to be the volleyball star, who am I going to be? Well, let me figure it out. And I really um, reached outside myself. New friend groups that were wild and um yeah, my life changed drastically. It's interesting that that I'm hearing I'm hearing you tell this story. We have a a brother that was on with us last night. Actually, who wrote a book about uh, you know what uh, what young athletes do when the cheering stops, and uh, and and you're uh, you, you're sounding as though this is a tremendous case study of of what can happen. Uh, in terms of the alternatives that you turn to uh, when you when you go there, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna step back and let you let you tell us a little bit more about uh, the, those next uh, couple of years and and the, uh, yeah. the choices that you made. You started started working yeah. with uh, new friends. Uh, the boyfriend didn't work out the way you wanted him to. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell tell us a little bit more about uh, how that developed. Yeah. So you know, and, and just you know, a reminder again. Losing, I think this is a big part of it too. Is losing that identity, I wanted to. I kept putting on these different masks to see who I was going to be, and so um, I'm still being prescribed heavy amounts of pain medication. 
Um, and um, my family and I, we go on another, you know, vacation, and I experiment with alcohol for the first time. And um, the first few nights um, that I'm experimenting with alcohol, I'm actually, I am sexually assaulted. And so after that sexual assault, um, it was just, you know, it, it, things were already not good, um, but they just got worse after that. And so experiencing that um, that freedom that alcohol gave me um, and helped me forget and cope with the sexual assault, I continued to drink. And so I ended up getting expelled from my private Christian school. Mm. Um yeah, getting expelled from that school, um, and I was taking alcohol with me every day, and um, ended up going to a public school. Um, and they would not allow you to play sports your senior year if you hadn't been there beforehand. In fact, I couldn't be a part of any clubs going to a new school my senior year, and that was something I found out too. That was kind of another crushing blow. Because getting expelled was kind of like, well, I can go somewhere else, um, and you know maybe I'll have a, a, you know that little bit of hope that I could still play, you know, with with coming back, but um, quickly yeah, reset. Uh, stated, yeah, yeah, reset. And so when I entered that new private school or that new public school, um, I had found an identity that worked pretty well, and I became the party girl. Um, my parents had gone to a um, college football game and I threw a huge Halloween party and it was like all of a sudden people do my name and kind of like what you were talking about, I got high fives the next day at school and I didn't know anybody. And it was, I was being cheered for again. And I thought, okay, this one works. This one works. I'm going to be the party girl. And so, um, you know, I, I graduated by the skin of my teeth in 2008. Um, but, spent 15 years um, in addiction. And it started with that injury with the pain pills, um, and it ended with meth and heroin, IV use, um, and I was homeless for two years. Um, And, uh, you know, I I just want to say, too, if there's any, you know, females or men, you know, listening that have experienced sexual assault, um, it, it doesn't get better. And sometimes you feel like you're walking around with this sign on your forehead that says victim. Um, and it feels like that because we are. And so, you know, I didn't take care of my trauma, and so it kept happening, and it became this trauma snowball. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I, I I say that because I wish someone would have said to me at the time, you know, this this isn't your fault, um, but help is available. Yeah, um, you know, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you that, and uh, and then I'll let Princess come in because I'm sure she has some questions as well, Dave. Um, but I was going to ask you, you know, there's a stigma a lot of times, particularly in our community, uh, with with going to uh, to get counseling for, for situations that happen, particularly traumatic experiences. Um, uh, obviously, that was something that, that could be helpful and in, in many cases is helpful in situations like that. Uh, what would you say to someone who is experiencing a, a similar kind of situation? Maybe not the exact same thing, but but trauma at such a young age, uh, where your life is really sort of turned upside down. You're going in one direction very successfully, and all of a sudden, one one tragic uh, event changes everything for you. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, young people seeking counseling in situations like that, and and their parents being opening open enough to uh, suggest it to them? 
Yeah. Um, well, definitely, I, you know, I want to say that pushing it down does not make it better. Um, it makes it worse. And so I think for me, I, I thought it's going to be okay. I don't really need to tell anyone. I don't want people to change the way they look at me. Um, but those thoughts and those, um, those ideas that are having, that's called shame. Shame wants us to be left in the dark. And shame tells us to silently struggle. Um, and the only way to heal from trauma is to talk about it and to talk about the situation with someone that you trust, that you know, that can guide you through that, um, and that can tell you that it, it wasn't your fault. Um, and so, you know, I, I kept that secret, and I wish someone would have just said, you know, and I thought, too, going to, to talking to a therapist, I thought it would be this huge moment, and it would be so overwhelming emotionally, um, but it, it's not like that. It's a slow process, and a therapist is never going to put something on you that you can't handle. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I always felt better afterwards, always felt better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say that because I, I, I've had a couple of friends who, not the same situation, and, and they were they were quite a bit older, um, but went through divorces. A female friend of mine who went through a, a really nasty uh, uh, marriage situation uh, that was pretty tumultuous, and uh, and then another one of my my buddies who just uh, I think he and his his wife just sort of grew apart, and they both uh, said to me that they felt like they were failures in life, and um, and were feeling the same kind of way where they they were sort of pushing it uh, pushing it down and saying well maybe uh, I can handle this uh, you know I don't want to. Uh, deal with the stigma of feeling as though I'm weak and having to go to talk somebody, talk to somebody. But each of them told me that was one of the best things I've ever had to do that they've ever done is uh, going to counseling, and that uh, and that both of them uh, really uh, experienced a resurgence from doing. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know it's it's that loss of identity, whether it's in. Uh, a, a sport that you know you put all of your your faith into, or a relationship that you think is going to be there forever. You know, when you're in a marriage, you're you're not just one, you're two. You know, um, or the two become one. You know, and that's the identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, Heidi, this is Princess, and I wanted to ask. You talked about being homeless for two years. Tell me where the recovery started after that. Um, did your parents try to reach back out to you? What happened to start the recovery? Yeah, so thank you so much for asking that question because uh, this is my, the favorite part about my story. His, my parents got mm-hmm. professional help. Um, they went to a therapist um, after my siblings and their spouses urged them to, um, and they got professional help and were given a book to read um, about that had been written by a parent of an addict. And they read the book and they looked at each other and they said, our daughter is addicted to drugs. And so um, slowly over eight months, my family planned an intervention. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, this is how it was supposed to work out, you know, and I do believe that God orchestrated this. uh, but I was in an abusive relationship, and so they had been planning in an intervention, um, but the abuse had gotten so severe that I had reached out. And um, 
you know, had told them, you know, I, I think he's going to kill me. And they called and they, wow. they offered me help. And um, I went to a treatment center in Texas um, for less than 10 days. I took in drugs with me. I ended up getting kicked out. But I was there wow. long enough to get a sense of, hey, maybe I am being abused. Maybe this isn't right. And maybe I can live without him. Um, and so after I got kicked out, uh, my family didn't stop working. They got me right back to, um, in touch with someone that told me about a treatment center and I told them I was willing to go. Um, and, uh, the relationship that I was in, he was willing to let me go if I let him keep my vehicle. And so uh, I was traded for a 2001 Chevy Suburban, (laughs) you know? And um, he dropped me off at the airport, and my life changed dramatically. So I went to the ranch in Tennessee. It's a great treatment center. Um, they focus on trauma and, you know, walked me through that of what I had been through. And um, my whole family was involved the whole time. I mean, they came for family week, and we sat in a big circle with our knees touching and talked. You know, I was able to tell them all those years ago, that first sexual assault, and I mean, you guys, they had no idea. They wow. had no idea. They thought I was struggling because of a breakup, and um, their reaction, we cried together, and, you know, they said, you know, we're sorry, and I told them I was sorry. Um, and, you know, I could, if I would have, if I would have not listened to the shame I could have had that moment with them at 17. Yeah. No. Um, so, but we, I, no. We, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I, um, I've been sober. So the day I entered treatment, which March 26, 2018, um, I've been sober ever since. Uh, God willing, I'll celebrate six years um, this coming March. My son will never know me drunk or high. Um, my husband's also in recovery, so he has three years clean, um, you know, from heroin. And so we're stopping the cycle. Um, but I, I, through my recovery, um, I have found a passion for helping others who have also um, struggled with addiction. And so um, I've worked for a nonprofit organization called Hope is Alive Ministries, um, they're a phenomenal organization um, in, the sober, in the sober community, um, but I'm also in school working on um, my bachelor's um, and look forward to becoming a counselor. What, what is your relationship? Yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. Go ahead. What, what is your relationship with sports uh, nowadays? Um, nowadays, I would say I relate to um, – I see – I see a lot of addicts and addicts and alcoholics come in who have also played sports, um, who have suffered an injury and have gone through that change. Um, and so I would say that's what my relationship is with now. Um, you know, and I would love to have the opportunity to, um, you know, step into that, um, whether it's like, you know, coaching volleyball someday or, you know, something like that. But I think right now it's just sharing my story. So Heidi, I'm a former uh, no, it's okay, a former volleyball player. So you you don't watch the sport at all? 
I don't. I don't. But I think that's also because being an addict and being homeless, I've just kind of, I'm like, I just started watching the news again. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, yeah. My last question, and I'll let you button up your story, um, but I want to ask someone listening to this who is struggling um, with sexual assault or with um, addiction, what is the one thing that you can tell them? Uh, recovery is possible um, in yeah. that you're not broken and you won't live the rest of your life broken. I said that was my last question. Your parents, um, how many times did they try to reach out to you when I, I guess you kind of moved away? You know, did they reach out to you or and, and you didn't respond? Um, and then I want to also ask about, well, just answer, if you can answer that for me. Was it a consistent reaching out to you and, and you not responding after a while because you were dealing with your own own stuff? Yeah, I think they they would always invite me to family functions. Um, but if I did show up, it would be hours late, and I would not show up by myself. I'd be in bad company, or I would be under the influence and it would just be dramatic. So a lot of times I, I eventually stopped getting the invite. Um, but I would say that did a bad job of pushing each other to reach out. So my family didn't reach out to me, and I didn't reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tim, any more questions? Or Doug, are you there? Yes, uh, Princess, I'm here. Uh, I guess I want to know all this, all all the bad behavior starts your junior year, or this is going into your senior year. Um, all of the bad behavior starts my junior year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now that you know you went through this, now you're recovering. You 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 meet your husband. So how how did you how did you tell him kind of how your life was going or how your life went? Yeah, so I am very active in the recovery community, um, and you know that's Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and so and being a part of a nonprofit organization, I would share my story often, and he actually found out you know, a lot of my history by coming and hearing me speak one night um, and hearing the story that way. And I think, you know, for him, you know, his story is different than mine. Um, You know, when you're in recovery, there's a lot of different ways to go about it, but I had gone full abstinence, um, and my husband had um, gone through heroin addiction that he ended up getting sober using... um, opioid medication like you know um like a methadone and he's you know off of that now but i think for me it was really good for us to come together and realize that like hey there's a crisis out there it's called fentanyl and whether you um you know harm reduction is what we're going for here so any way to get sober there's not wrong one wrong way or right way to do it 
but it's a crisis out there and it's affecting a lot of people. And so, um, you know, getting help as soon as possible is really important. The other part that I was thinking about too, everybody's seen you play as a freshman, seen you play as a sophomore, and now you're not playing as a junior. <laughs> was it any teachers or guidance counselor? Did anybody kind of pinpoint, hey, hey, you know, maybe you might need counseling or what's going on with you? Maybe we should call your parents in. Did anybody reach out like that? They they didn't. No. Wow. Um, yeah. I think, you know, eventually I will say the headmaster of that private school called and apologized to me my junior year and said that um, he apologized for not treating me better and, and knowing that I was struggling. So I think he, you know, there obviously there was some guilt there, but I think, you know, I, I can't answer for them, but I think for a long time that community, and I, I say this really briefly, I think a lot of times, and this was still in the era when depression and anxiety weren't really accepted, and since it was in the faith-based community, I think their solution was always God. And if she's acting like this, she's participating in sin. And they focus too much on the consequences and not enough on what was behind the behavior. My next question is, did you ever feel like a lot of people always tell me they felt like they were on an island and didn't know how to get off? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's crazy to think back that when my parents offered me treatment, I wasn't going to go. And this girl I had hardly known, we had used together. I happened to run into her and I told her the option. And she said, why not go? It'll be like a little vacation. And her saying that is what got me to go because I thought, you know what, you're right. I won't have to think about what I need to do for food and I'll have somewhere to sleep. You know, they'll probably have nice showers. You know, so that's what got me to treatment. Um, wow. And so feeling alone and feeling on an island, I think a lot of people don't get sober because there's so much fear about re-entering the, the normal society. Hmm. Okay. I right, Kim, I appreciate you on it. Sum it up. <laughs> yeah, I actually no. want to ask another question. Um, sorry, Tim. How do you um, talk about your relationship with your siblings now? Oh yeah, so that's probably one of the most joyous relationships I have today. Um, every year on my sobriety birthday, my sister posts a picture, and I have 14 nieces and nephews <laughs> that I love dearly. That's <laughs> a lot of them. Um, Mm-hmm. But my sister posted a picture of me and my nephew, and we both have red hair. Um, and she reminds, every, you know, if I when I first got sober, I didn't know my nephew's name. And mm-hmm. so her big moment that she likes to post on my sobriety birthday is, hey, look at my sister and my little boy. 
she used to not know his name, you know, and now, like, you know, Aunt, Aunt Heidi is, I'm not going to, you know, chew my own horn too much, but she's a pretty big deal around the nieces and nephews. So, um, yeah, but I think, you know, we've all come to the conclusion, my siblings and my parents, that we don't sweep things under the rug anymore. And we do not see each other upset and not ask each other what's going on. Um, we talk about emotions. We talk about feelings. And we check in on one another, and we, we frequently ask those questions. Um, and this cycle of being ashamed of emotions or mm-hmm. covering up emotions with um, achievement has stopped. Tim, I'll give the last word to you. I, 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 I hear one more. Go ahead, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll come in. Um, yeah, I heard you. I heard you mention that you're involved in a ministry now, um, and I also heard you say that uh, some of the early ministries that you were uh, exposed to when you were really going through uh, your uh, your trials uh, mm-hmm. were so uh, rigid. Uh, if, and that's my own word. You didn't say that, but uh, with regard to uh, pointing to the sin and not so much to the solution. Uh, where is that balance? Yeah, so I think separating uh, for me, separating from all those years ago, um, from that one organization, that one school, and those um, that pain. But I would also say that you know, and the balance was reached when I was a part of that nonprofit organization, and um, so the, the the private school that I went to was connected to a church um, and this church actually came to the nonprofit organization to serve a meal to the female residents of this program and some of the women recognized me and came up and apologized to me and you know remembered me remembered me from mm. struggling and then now to see them serving in this recovery community, it, it to me that was a huge healing moment. Um, but I think I've learned a phrase when I was in treatment, and um, it's you do, you can't know what you don't know. And I've forgiven those people of my past because they didn't know what I was struggling with. How could they? That they didn't know. Um, you know, but I think a lot of faith organizations have a problem, you know, talking about emotions or sexual assault and things like that. And so, you know, just I'm just a person that, that does it. <laughs> I talk about it. So. Yeah. Maybe. Where's your, where's your relationship with God now, Heidi? Yeah, yeah. I'm tiptoeing around it because I don't know how freely I can speak. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, but, uh, it, 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 I thought Tim was going to get you a question. Uh, Preston, so I, I hate to bring it back to it. Yeah, so, um, you know, God kept me safe. He is the only, only reason that I'm alive today. Um, I I give him credit for my sobriety. I give him credit for my life today. Um, you know, yeah, uh, God is uh, the foundation of my life today. 
Um, and, you know, without him and realizing, you know, looking back at everything and, you know, even the bad things that happened to me that, you know, he's still in those moments because any time I get to sit down and have a conversation with a girl um, that experienced something similar that I did and I get to comfort her, like that, that is Jesus right there. And, um, gosh, I am so blessed yeah. to be able to have those moments really, really blessed. And so um, I wouldn't change my life for anything. Amen. Anything that's happened or how it's turned out, I wouldn't. God's blessed me and he's continued to bless me. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Congratulations, Heidi. Thank you for Thank you. sharing your story and, and being so honest. And, and um, you know, I, I appreciate that for sure. Um, gentlemen, yeah, any last thing before we um, button this up? No, I'm just uh, I'm yeah. just inspired by the story. Very inspired. Yeah. Inspired. That is the word. Heidi, and keep telling your story because I, I'm sure it's it's going to reach and it's going to touch somebody. If we can save one person, that's hey, hey, amen. Yeah, that's it. You're right. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for having me and just and, and allowing me. I'll I'll always say yes to to sharing what God's done in my life. So thank you. I appreciate it. Amen. We'll definitely um, check on you and just, you know, continue to share this story. It will be on iHeartRadio and Spotify tomorrow. Heidi Pratt, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, gentlemen, we're going to get out of the way here for the 7 o'clock show. Heidi, have a great rest of the week. Never had it so good. Sports Talk Radio, we'll see you at 7 p.m. for the professional experts. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.